Good morning. Today's first reading is similar to today's gospel. In the first reading, the prophet Malachi tells the priest of that time that they have turned aside from the way of God. And in the gospel, we read that the scribes and Pharisees don't practice what they preach either. And like the Pharisees in the time of Christ, the priests of the temple in Malachi's day were the leaders to whom the people were looking for guidance. But they failed the people miserably. They made a mockery of religion. They cheated or tried to cheat God. And they led the people to do likewise. Their service of the temple was dishonest and external. They didn't teach the law of God the way God called them to do. Because their own belief was lukewarm, if not lost altogether. So now, as we go further back into the first part of the chapter in Malachi, we see when we come to verses 6 through 13 that the prophet Malachi has listed offenses that the priests have committed in their liturgical services. They had offered lame, diseased, and even stolen animals as sacrifices to the Lord, which is strictly forbidden by the law. But But in the end, The prophet offers them a chance to repent and to change their evil ways. And if they didn't change, God would send them a curse. Instead of a blessing, a worthy priest would receive. The scribes and the Pharisees weren't leading a true spiritual life, even though they had acted as if they were. If they'd been leading a true spiritual life, they would not only have been men of prayer, but men whose actions in life conform to the will of God. Nothing they did reflected any light into the darkness of their world because of their evil. They had forgotten who they had received their blessings from. And it's the same for us today. It's easy for us to forget the blessings that we have received from God. How easy it is to turn away from God's ways. If we're not paying attention to how we live day to day, we will get away from God. We're reminded that evil is still very much alive among us today. The leaders of those days were misguiding the people, and they weren't serious about keeping God's commandments. They sat in the high places of authority, but they didn't seem to have the same understanding of God's will for them as leaders as they should have had. So how many of us are in positions of authority? Whether it's in your job, in the church, as leaders of our parish, or as fathers and mothers who are leaders in our home, think just a moment about how we lead. Are we leading the way that God calls us and expects us to lead? Every one of us is called to lead a spiritual life according to the will of God. And we're to build a spiritual house within our own homes with all the people of God. But in order to live a spiritual life, we must understand what the true meaning of a spiritual life is. And most of us think we know the answer to leading a true spiritual life. But as I found out, it's not exactly what we think it is. Every year on the first Saturday of October, 
All the deacons of the diocese come together for a whole day to spend a day with the bishop. At the end of the convocation, the bishop talks to us and we're able to ask him any question. But this time, he had something he wanted to say. I was asked if, if I would come to do a talk at the Peaceable Kingdom one day on the spiritual life to a group of cancer survivors. And as I started preparing for this, I was really struggling with what I needed to say or what I needed to present. Well, up to the weekend of the deacon's convocation, I was still working on my presentation on the spiritual life talk. And the bishop at that time was Bishop Amen. And he was going to give us this talk, which included a study throughout the day. And guess what his talk was about? You got it. It was about the spiritual life. And I was overjoyed because this was something I could use. I was smiling from ear to ear. I only wish I had asked him for his notes because he had a whole hour's worth of talk for us. From the notes that I took and the research I did on spirituality, I finally put together a one-hour presentation to present in PowerPoint to share with the group at Peaceable Kingdom. Now, I realize that we don't have an hour today, or I would do that, but you're not here for an hour. But I'll give you just an outline form, so to speak. My topic is called, What is the Goal of Our Spiritual Life? The goal of the spiritual life is to love God above all things and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Our other goal is to conform our will to God's will. We need to conform ourselves in such a way that we get to the point that we can eventually say, like St. Paul, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Our part in this relationship of loving God is to follow his commandments, also to allow his Holy Spirit to lead us to those that who we can help. We must be in constant prayer to our Lord in order, in order to keep us humble as we learn more of what God's will is for us. Now, prayer is important, but it isn't all that we need to do. So if you're thinking that your spiritual life is about your prayer life, then you're completely off track. To be prayerful helps our spiritual life, but our prayer life is exactly what it is, our prayer life. So then what is spirituality? What is the goal of our spirituality? How do we define it and how do we live it? So I'll give you just a few things that I wrote down from Bishop Amon's talk for us. Spirituality is an inward sense of a power or spirit that's greater than you. It's admitting to yourself that God has control of your life, knowing the amount of influence and control we can exert on our own life's direction. The recognition that we have a relationship with God that needs to be continuously nurtured. A frame of reference that keeps all problems, anxieties, fears and needs in perspective. And the three foundational characteristics of spirituality is faith, hope, and love. So how does one develop and strengthen our spirituality? First, we must be willing to accept God's spirit. We must be willing to uh, get, 
we must be willing to accept his influence and his power in our lives. We must be willing to admit God into our life and establish a true, a true relationship with him by offering him prayer and worship. Begin to converse with God on a daily basis and let God know all your problems, your fears, and your worries. Release your control over your own life. Let, God, let God's will be made clear to you by signs of direction and discernment that only occur once you let go of the reins. And develop a healthy sense of humility and realism that God's power, knowledge, and wisdom is omnipotent, that his power is all-powerful. Let go of your need to always have a logical, clinical, scientific reason or researchable answer for all the problems in our life. And reach out to the weaker, poorer, and less stable people in our lives and offer them reasonable support, interest, and caring for them. Spirituality is joining forces with others who have a healthy spirituality in their own lives. They'll be able to encourage, reinforce, and support our efforts to grow in our own spirituality. And we must free ourselves to accept the direction, leadership, and authority of God in our own life. It's a lot of hard work, but what, no one said that the road to the kingdom of God is going to be easy. The Pharisees weren't living the way God had commanded them to live. And as we read today, it's easy for us to judge them on the way that they were living and what they didn't do right. And it's also easy for us to look at others and point fingers at them and what they're doing or not doing. But we need to worry only about what God expects of us and how he wants us to live. We need to look at the splinter in our own eyes, so to speak. If we're doing that, we'll know what the true meaning of a spiritual life is. So I want to end by telling you a story called The Meaning of Life. This story is told by a minister who once had attended a seminar. And on the last day of the discussion, the leader asked if there were any questions. One man laughingly asked him what the meaning of life was. Everyone in attendance was laughing and started making jokes. However, the leader held up his hand to ask for silence. And then he responded like this. I will answer your question. He took his wallet out of his pocket. He removed a small round mirror about the size of a quarter. And then he explained, when I was a child during World War II, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken pieces of a mirror. A German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible. So I kept the largest piece, and by scratching on it on a stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun could never shine. It became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places that I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I grew up, I would take, out, take it out at idle moments 
and continue the challenge of the game. And so as I became a man, I grew to understand that this was not a child's game, but a metaphor of what I could do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but light, be it truth or understanding or knowledge, is there. And it will only shine in the many dark places if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. But nevertheless, with what I do have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the dark places of human hearts, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others, others seeing it can happen to do likewise. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to leave you with these two questions. Do we reflect the light of Christ into the darkness of other people's lives? Will the world be a better place for our having been in it?